Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to Filmmaking Conversations with me, Damien Swaby. Today on the show, I'll be talking to Sunny Valentine. Now, Sunny is a brilliant young actress who's appeared in shows such as When They See Us, which is on Netflix, and she's also worked for Spike Lee. The difference with Sunny is she's also a director at MTV News. And I thought to myself, what would make someone work for MTV News and be an actress? Such a brilliant creative mind doing two very, very brilliant different things. So here is my interview with Sunny Valentine. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed speaking to her. Hello, Sunny. How are you today? Hi, how are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. I've woke up early. I've got a lot done today and I'm speaking to you. What more could I want? And it's a lovely afternoon right here in London. Wow. London. I love London. I'm glad to hear it. London, it's a it's a great place. It can be a great place at times. So I came across your work. You interviewed a young, talented artist called D Smoke. But before we get into that, please do tell us, how did you come to work for MTV? because you're an actress and a director too. So how did this all come about? So um, when I first began, like in the industry, I just start like from the, not from the very beginning, but somewhat at the beginning. Um, I had an internship at NBC News, but before that I worked in the community a lot. So I was doing a lot of interviews within like small little clubs and like, a uh, little small sporting events and just having interviews with different people who impacted our communities. And then from there kind of grew into like wanting to really study and focus on journalism. Um, so I went from journalism to kind of just like storytelling and totality. So from, from journalism, I went to writing and then producing and then like acting and then directing, which was like some of the things that I've never really saw myself doing back in the day. Um, not because I wasn't, not because I didn't want to, but because I wasn't familiar with that work, that line of work, because I didn't have many people around me who uh, were working in the industry. So it's definitely um, the way that I came into it. I guess it's like once your your foot is in one door, it kind of just like merges all together eventually. Like storytelling in a to- like if you're a producer, a writer a director, journalist, actor, I feel like we all kind of like are storytellers in our own way, like modern day creators, you know what I mean? 
Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. It kind of just fell in, you know, just storytelling in totality just fell together. So what started first in terms of the acting and the directing in a larger way? So as far as acting goes, I started acting when I was probably like six or seven years old. My mom had me like once going on auditions and things of that nature. I made my first, I produced and directed my first movie when I was in sixth grade. Um, It wasn't like a real movie, but it was within like my community and within my uh, school. So I created my first movie in sixth grade. Um, From there, I studied theater in high school all four years, went to college, studied theater, acting, um, and journalism as well. And, you know, like acting kind of, I went on auditions in Chicago, but I really didn't get many callbacks. If I could be honest, my callbacks didn't start until I got to Brooklyn. So acting didn't really start picking up for me until I moved to the West, the East Coast. Um, So that's kind of where things went for me. Like my very first uh, project, credited project anyway, was Black Klansman with Spike Lee. And that was, well, I think in 2018. Um, So yeah, that's kind of when things really started to kind of pick up for me. It was like, okay, like my first movie credit, like people could start taking me seriously. I became Zac Aftra. And I, I've gotten, I was introduced into that world uh, for real, not just like working on my friends' projects or like school plays or school projects, but like actually being on set with professionals um, who were uh, really, really well versed in their their areas and their lines of work. So uh, being able to watch that and um, be a part of that really like impacted my line of work. So, yeah, that's kind of how I got into it, I would say. I definitely went on auditions for Spike Lee back in the day as well in Chicago. Didn't get called back for that. So it wasn't until Brooklyn, like, until I moved to New York City, uh, where things really started to pick up. So when you made your film in sixth grade, was that a documentary? And for those of us who are not aware of the American educational system, how old are you when you're in sixth grade? Wow. How old was I in sixth grade? Oh, you know what? I don't even want to lie to you right now. I can say probably 12 or so. Was I 12 in sixth grade? Yeah, about 12. Yeah. 11, 12, 11. So I was a part of this group called Gear Up in Chicago. Um, and they would come to our school. It was like a creative group. They would come to our schools. Um, I was kind of in an underserved community. So it was kind of like the government's way of <laughs> giving back, I suppose. Okay. And um, so they would come to our our school and introduce us to different, like artsy, uh, different ways to express ourselves creatively. And acting was one of those those outlets. It was acting, it was writing, and dancing. Um, I did all three, but as far as uh, the acting goes. Um, they kind of introduced that to us and took us like on different trips where we would like produce and, and make our little stories out in the field with like camera equipment. It was very, very fun. They definitely took us through the writing process, but you know, in the sixth grade, it's not like a real writing process. Like now it's definitely a lot less writing, but in more just like free flowing and improvisation. But, um, yeah, it was it was a horror movie. <laughs> it was a horror movie. My very first movie was a horror movie. 
Um, and I was a star of it, which is crazy. It's funny. My grandmother actually still has that on DVD. And she still has these on DVD? She has it on DVD. Uh, yeah, she still has it. And she still talks about it to this day. I just hope so, that you guys never see it. I hoped you was going to upload it on YouTube. Oh, no way. Only, listen, the only person that has that is my grandmother. So if it's leaked, me and grandma, got some, we got some talking to do. Okay. <laughs> but in terms of being involved in larger projects like Black Klansman, tell us, what was that experience like? Wow, Black Klansman really shaped... Oh, wow, Black Klansman was a big part of my life. Um, is still, to this day, is a big part of my life. Um, before Black Klansman, I was definitely, like, in within my community, making sure I was advocating for my people. Back in Chicago, when I had my show, the Sunny Valentine show, I was always advocating for Black and brown people. But it was a different experience advocating in this way on such a large platform um I was my role my credit is a dancer because I was also a dancer but I was also in black student union so like I was also in black student union in college so it was almost surreal kind of full circle moment it was like I remember these moments being in these meetings and like having these conversations with my peers and like now I'm having the same conversations with other peers on set of a movie um, and it's kind of it, I don't know, I felt like I was almost prepared for it in a way. Um, being able to work with Spike Lee and just so many other Black talented people changed the way that I like work. You know what I mean? Like it changes the way that I see my people. Um, it way? changes. Well, as far as work. I am a very over-analytical person <laughs> and um, I feel like most of the time the things that I do or the projects that I'm working on, like they almost have to be close to perfect in order to, in order for me to share it. But I changed that after being on set and being around professionals who actually, who've been in the industry for decades, you know what I mean? And like, watching them work effortlessly and like sometimes even just improving changed the way that I write, changed the way that I do things because it's like, hey, when you're on set, even though you have something on this paper, you can like improv and do whatever you want. And I know it sounds crazy like duh, Sunny, but no, like I didn't study directing growing up. So like I really thought that things were like on the books. Like you had to do exactly what was written down because you have a whole team following you. So the moment you pivot, whole show is like pivoting. Um so me watching like people free style and and uh just the way that people were handling like everything, just being together, um, sharing experiences. Most of the people, all of the people that's on Spike Lee's set were majority Black people. So it was kind of like a family reunion. It was like a barbecue. Like, it was like me meeting people who I've never met before, but I felt like we've met before, if that makes sense. It's kind of like he knew who to pick. I don't even know. It's, It's almost crazy. Like, if you ask anybody who's ever worked on the Spike Lee set, they will probably tell you that that's the best that they've ever worked on in their life. And I'm, and listen, I'm still in my early stages, but I just know I'm still going to feel the same way at the end because the friendships that I made, like 
the conversations that we had, like hard conversations that you don't really have with people because of sensitivity, these conversations are being had on set of Black Klansmen, on the set of Black Klansmen, with Spike Lee amongst like just background actors, all types of people. It was like almost a community of, like, I really, I'm still trying to figure it out, to be honest. Like, it, I'm still, it's only, it's been two years, right? So, yeah. in addition to me working for Black, working on Black Klansmen, I also worked on season one and season two of She's Gotta Have It, which are also oh, Spike Lee Productions. And same thing there. It, it's just always been dynamic. And, and I want to make sure that when it's my turn to direct and uh, be that person to select who I need to select to be on set. I want to make sure that I am just as warm, just as professional, just as like solid as those people that I worked with. So that's kind of how it changes for me. It's like, not to say that I didn't think about other people before, because I definitely have, but the way that I felt leaving those sets, I want to make sure other people feel that way as well when they leave mine. So that's kind of how it changed for me. It was like, okay, when you're working, like it's more than just what's on paper. It's more than just like the production. It's also the people. It is also like the energy and just like how you set the tone. Because I've been on other sets as well where I felt a little uncomfortable. So it's definitely how you set the tone. And that matters because if you want the best product, you have to make sure that the people around you are are content and happy and and together, you know, and I felt like those sets put us in those positions to not only uh, feel welcomed, but also to do our best work. So are you able to tell us any of the conversations that you may have had on the Black Klansman set? Yeah, like, uh, well, um, because it was Black Klansmen, um, we had a lot of conversations regarding how black people were treat, are treated, you know? Um, and to have those conversations with actors who are portraying, uh, like who are portraying black student union members, it, it was almost as if we were really in college having these conversations. Okay. And I do believe Spike Lee let us have those conversations because he, like, I don't know, I, he let us have those conversations, which I really appreciate because it kind of like exuded out into our like work. You know what I mean? Like we felt it because we were having these conversations. So the conversations were basically how we were being treated in this world. And like, I can elaborate, but I think you know what I mean when I say how we're being treated. You know what I'm saying? Like to this day, to right now, to this day. Um, so those were the conversations we were having. And she's got to have it. It's completely different from Black Klansman. One, it's a TV show on Netflix that originated from an independent film. But what was the difference like on both sets? Oh, my goodness. Listen, she's got to have it. was fun. It was a party. I love being on set. Even if we were there at 530 in the morning in the club scene, it always felt like actual club scene. So I was always having a good time. Whereas, like, Black Klansman was real. You know what I mean? Like, it was based on a true story. Um, it was fun as far as, like, connecting with my with my peers, but it wasn't fun when you were thinking about why you were here. You had to yeah. kind of be in the moment and, like, understand that the this movie is really important and, like, it's all fun and games, but the message still has to be, you know, clear. So uh, even though 
our parts, like most of us, like not most, but like people that I know and like people are around, we have very, very, very small parts. But those small parts were taken seriously because we knew the impact that it would have. And what was your role on She's Gotta Have It? I was a background actress um, all the time. So I was in different scenes, like just doing background work, you know, like, and I'm very appreciative because that was before Black Landman. Uh, Spike always gave me an opportunity to come back to set, you know, like even if it was background acting, he always like called people back and we made money and we made friends and like we made content. Didn't get any credits on that. Did get a call back though, but I was in LA. So I couldn't make it to the, yeah, that's a whole nother conversation. But, um, but yes, I definitely, um, I definitely had like a little small part What she's got to have, not even the part, it was just background work, but I still appreciate it to this day. I love it. Like you see me a couple of times. So that was nice. That was actually my first, I want to say that was my first time being on a set as a background actress where I was there for season one and season two continuously. Oh, I see. Yeah. And you also worked on the brilliant Netflix production, When They See Us. Tell us, how did you get involved in that project? Oh, my God. When They See Us. Yeah. So, When They See Us, when I first was, okay, so before I even had known When They See Us, was my agent at the time called me and was like, hey, um, they're looking for XYZ. We want you to audition for XYZ. I was like, okay, cool. Sounds good. Did the audition. Didn't get the part, um, which was fine. I just, like, I still like going on auditions, so, like, I never feel like it's a waste of time. Um, but I went on the audition, and, and since I didn't get the part, and I found out that it was Ava DuVernay, I was like, let me tell you something. I will be a background actress. I will hold the water. I will yeah. be a PA. Whatever I got to do to be on set next to Ava, I need to be there. So I ended up doing background work, right? So the day that I got there, um, they barely used me. <laughs> like, I walked past once. Like, there's this barbershop scene. I just walked past once. And I was like, okay, that's, that's fine. Like, I'm good. I'm content. I mean, I got to see Ava. I was next to her. I got to see how she worked most importantly. Like, wanted to yeah. be there to see how, the, you know, how she worked and, like, how things were. Got that out of my system, was like, okay, fine, didn't get used, but was able to stay on set and see her watch throughout the day. And then that next, like, two days, my agent ended up, like, texting me, like, hey, um, Ava has requested you uh, for something. Do me a favor and send me a couple pictures. Mind you, they already have my headshots, but they wanted me to, they wanted me to send, like, pictures of me, like, at that moment. Like, what I looked like without makeup, without, like... You know, just natural. And I was like, what? Like, okay. So I sent this picture of myself. And he was honest with me. He was like, hey, between you and, like, two other girls. And I was like, okay, no problem. So he had me waiting for, like, a good day before he let me know whether or not I had the, the small part. Um, and he called me probably, like, the night before, Um we had to be on set. It was probably like 1230 and I had to be on set at like six. And he was like, Hey, uh, good luck. Like tomorrow. Yeah. You're going to be on set with Ava and this is kind of what you're going to be doing. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, okay, great. I'll be there tomorrow. I was really ecstatic and like emotional and yeah. just very happy because even though it was like background work in like a small part and like, 
I just felt like it, just being around like great people and not having this growing up and not being around these people or having people around me to show me like the ropes. Like I've been watching everybody else. I've been looking at YouTube. I've been reading other people's like biographies and like reading about their lives and stuff as like a way to to kind of figure it out. So for me to actually be in the presence of Ava or even Spike Lee was just, I knew for a fact, like it wasn't me, it was God. Because if it was up to me, like the amount of mistakes I made, I don't even know if I would have made it at that point, at that moment. So I knew it wasn't me to, who got me to that point. But um, it was definitely like surreal. And um, yeah, when he called me, it was just me. The set was so small, okay? And that's what really also like, kind of threw me off. The set okay. was extremely small. It was Jovan Adepo, who's like a really good friend of mine. Uh, he who played a Antron McCray. I pay, played Antron McCray's wife. Okay. So I was his wife. I was pregnant. And then we had like four kids. So that's pretty much it. I was just in the bed. There's like this scene. I was like in the bed. And um, he got the call that... Um you know that like everything was was pretty much fine at that well not fine but you know things were starting to pick up so that was yeah. that moment um yeah that was that moment and yeah it was me Antron McCray and the kids and it was Ava and and DP and that was it it was just us in wow. the room and yeah it was very intimate it was very very intimate and um yeah, I to this day, yeah, it's just still surreal. You know, I'm just hoping that one day I get another opportunity to work with Ava again. Um, but it was a very intimate set, and it was a very, very great experience. And uh, Ava definitely, she definitely um, influenced me, and she definitely uh, body, embodies like all that there is when it comes to like hard work, dedication, and like getting it done. You know what I mean? Like she's yeah. straight to the point. She knows exactly what she wants and she knows like how to get it out of you, how to get it out of anybody. <laughs> she's really good. She's really, really, really good. And like, it's, it's very impressive. And to watch her is just enough for me, if I can be honest. Um, so yeah, that's how that happened. Great experience. And if I could do it again, I definitely would. Except See, that big how... heavy belly I had on. That was a really heavy belly. Like I've never <laughs> in my life worn a a fake belly before when they gave it to me i was like oh that's cute but then when you wear it it's actually heavy so uh kudos to all the moms out there in real life yeah, carrying those I'm bellies around wow that's amazing that you've worked with two of the best directors and when i say that i don't mean two of the best black directors i mean literally two of the best absolutely they are trailblazers who have influenced millions and millions of young filmmakers across the world and they use stories to get their messages out there through filmmaking. But from your first film that you made in sixth grade to where you are now, why are stories important to you? Storytelling is important to me because as a little girl from Chicago, a little black girl from Chicago, um, the only black stories that I really saw were on BET. And I watched a lot of TV and film but like a lot of the black stories um were that were like real i felt like were movies and stuff were not real but like almost close to what was real was like what they would allow on tv anyway was like black tv um and as i was growing up i would always just 
see, like I had so many friends and so many times and points in my life where I was just like, wow, like if people knew that this, I wonder if other people know that this exists. I wonder if other people know that like there are people out here like that. I wonder if like this, if I can share this person's stories, it could impact their life, it could change their life even. And I realized my very first time when I was covering um, music and entertainment when I was in undergrad, because when I was in high school, I also was like a uh, television like news anchor. So I was like one of the news anchors at my college and my high school that would like come on the screens for like morning news or whatever, which was not a big of a deal at the time for me because I wasn't really telling the stories that I wanted to tell. But I definitely didn't take it for granted. I always um, used whatever I could to get where I needed to be. Um, however, telling these stories of the people in my community were really, really important to me. I, when I started to like freelance to be on my own, the first story I covered was like police brutality within Chicago. Um, and I was very nervous to do that because um, I really didn't know what response I would get, but it was crazy. I got so like much support so many people came out. I covered the stories of Black boys who were killed by the police and mothers who were still awaiting, like, for the police to be just, like, arrested or for, like, just justice for their for their child. And I'm like, there is no way that these stories, there's so many. And there's, like, I only hear of one or two every other month or two. I'm like, no, 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 no. We got to do better. Like, we have to tell the stories within our community, even the stories that hurt even the stories that are not happy, even the stories that are like, could that could be detrimental because that's the only way that we will prevail. You know what I mean? Like that's the only way that the next generation will be set up for success is if we show them what they're facing right now. Very true. So storytelling is important to me in that aspect because it's like, if nobody else is going to tell our stories the right way, we have to do it. We have to. So I'm happy that there's an Ava and a, and a Spike Lee, because if it wasn't an Ava and a Spike Lee, I probably wouldn't have the courage to really like do that. Excellent. I mean, I really appreciate what you've just said there, especially when you said, if nobody else is going to tell our story the right way, we have to do it. It's something I've said many times in, in England, my own country. But how do you compare directing and being involved in the projects we've mentioned so far to directing for MTV News, especially the brilliant interview you directed for the artist D Smoke. So D Smoke is phenomenal. He speaks Spanish. He's an, an educator. He's also an, an I believe he's an activist. I want to say, oh, you don't have to use that word lightly. Um, but he is amazing and connecting exactly like I was talking about talking about the black stories that need to be told that could be detrimental that could be sad but there's also happy stories and they're also like great black men out here like D Smoke who teaches students in day and like raps at night and he also like won um the Netflix show Rhythm and Flow um last season so like me telling that story to my audience, MTV, which is pretty much not necessarily like a big black audience. We pretty much it's pretty much like white, if I can be honest. Like it's well, y'all know it's it's a white audience. MTV has a white audience, majority white audience. So me being able to tell the story of a black man who is not only an educator, who's not only fluent in Spanish, a black man from California. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. <laughs> this guy is fluent in Spanish, an educator and a rapper. If I can tell this story of this man. 
and little black boys can see this. I can rap and I can educate my, my, my peers. I can rap and I can be successful. Like you can do all of these things, but they don't show many men like that. They don't show many people like that. Well, Netflix actually did, which is great. But for the yeah. most part, you don't really see that that image of a black man that is educated and also like very well versed with the hip hop, which is there's a lot of them out there. I have friends like, for example, Domacy Pongo, who is the host of MTV News Need to Know and also True Life Crime. He's another one who's who uh, who's very like articulate, but also like into hip hop. He's the host and he interviewed D Smoke. Um, so like, he's the one who like, you know, had the actual interview. I just directed it, but yeah, like there's a lot of men out here like that. There are a lot of people out here, a lot of black people out here who are doing great work. So for me to, to show that on NTV news or for me to be able to show that for our network means a lot, especially because they don't really see many black people in that light. So for me to direct that, uh, show, um, that episode with D smoke was, was just like still a highlight as you can see it's pinned to the top of my profile still yes. on twitter so yeah i'm very very proud of that for sure so what exactly does it take to direct an interview because from my experience i, I haven't really seen a director on board when it comes to filming such situations i've always seen a producer around a lot of the time but what does it take to direct an interview and how long does the process last for you so if i could be 100 percent honest um, as far as the directing component, it's usually tech directing. So I'm in the control room on the technical side, directing the shoot. Um, speaking to talent if needed, but more than likely just making sure that the set is right, making sure that the lighting is good, making sure that things are up to par yeah. before we shoot and then post. But the directing aspect is tech directing. So that's me like potentially... Uh, putting up maybe some assets during the interview or me just like pivoting a little bit from one angle to the next calling shots xyz mind you that was the very first interview that i directed tech direction no on top of that no i'm it not even kidding it looks <laughs> thank you so much so i honestly have to thank my team because um had i not listen they kind of just threw me out there it was one of those things where it's like, hey, Sunny, you're going to be tech directing this episode tomorrow or whenever. Get ready. And I was like, oh, OK, cool. So this is actually happening. So the support is there. Um, and then just like allowing me to be free. And like if I need to like study extra or stay in the control room a little longer, they allow that, too. So I, if I can be honest, it's not as easy as it looks. There are definitely other people a part of that, <laughs> a part of the process. I'm not the only one. Trust me, there's a whole team of us. So um, it, that's that's definitely uh, important as well, like a team of people who who can make it look like it, it was just you and you look good. So that's great to know. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of us. So not too many, but about like six of us on set. But oh, um, right. yeah, about tech directing is the, the component of directing that I did for that particular interview. So as a tech director, do you get to dress the room? Do you get to decide the lighting and the feel and the vibe of the whole setup? Definitely get to, yes, I definitely check, pick the lighting and the vibes for the set, um, for that particular shoot. Yeah, like, I mean, as you see, it's not much to to 
Well, you 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 don't see the the set in real life, but there's not a lot to change around. So it kind of okay. is what it is. Like if you watch uh, some of the other interviews, you'll kind of see that they all kind of look the same. But okay. um, regarding that, like, like certain like uh, frames, I definitely call it, like shots when it comes to like who who am I who am I um gonna zoom in on for this? Like who who am I gonna zoom in on for that X Y Z? So yeah, like I definitely call the shots regarding that aspect of it. But our set. It's pretty much standard. So, one day, <laughs> one day, and one day. And what can we expect from you next? Will it be writing? Will it be tech directing? Is it going to be acting? What's next? Listen, I've tech directed many episodes for NCB News. I could send you a couple of those. If I could be oh, honest, it's a great, it's a great skill to have, um, and it's great to be able to work in the control room and know my way around news and knowing how to like work a live show or even just like something for uh that's going to be that's pre-recorded however tech directing is not uh something that i see myself doing for the rest of my life it's definitely something that i use as a stepping stone to get into directing primarily um so in the pipeline i'm currently working on two documentaries um which you um, this is my second documentary the first documentary i worked on was for sports in china which was in 2006 15. So it's been about five years since I've worked on a documentary. So I'm really, really like nervous about it, you know, but at the same time, I'm like, it has to, I have to get it out. Like I mentioned before, the, you know, like the, the over analytical slash like perfectionism, <laughs> like I'm trying not to be like over the top um, when it comes to like my content. However, like I know that the message needs to be very, very clear. So that's kind of what I'm working on right now, just those documentaries in addition to, like, I'm still at MTV News, Viacom CBS now. Um, yeah, and working across the brand. So that's pretty much all as of now. And, you know, I'm at home and we are all working from home. But hopefully when we're back in the studio, I'll have something fresh for you. Great. I can't wait to see it. But when you say documentary, am I right by saying you said a documentary about sports in China? I... <laughs> Yes, uh, the first documentary that I've ever shot and like produced on my own was in China, Suzhou, China, um, in Shanghai, and in Beijing. Um, we shot the Candy Elevator Basketball Tournament for the United States, and I was pretty much just a producer uh, for that. Me and another one of my friends, uh, Bree Smith, who's also amazing. Um, shout to Balanoi. But um, yeah, that was pretty much one of my first documentaries that I shot. That's a whole nother conversation. If you got time. (laughs) So before I was, this is right after NBC News, actually, I was pretty much just like freelancing and trying to figure it out. Me and my friend kind of collaborated and did a couple. She's more into sports. I'm not really into sports, but the opportunity presented itself when we decided to go to the NFL um combine and then we went to some of the nfl uh events that were happening because the draft was set to happen in chicago so that kind of opened opportunities for us because we met other people we covered different events and then they asked my friend if we were available to go to china and she called me she's like hey sunny the people that we met from xyz was just wondering if we'd be willing to go to china to cover to cover the basketball tournament. And I was like, no way, like not us, like not me with my candy T5I. 
Like, are you sure? <laughs> but yeah, so the opportunity presented itself. And if I could be 100% honest, I didn't even have a passport. I had to go get a passport. I barely had any money. <laughs> we were so young and we were just trying to figure it out. But yeah, that was my very first documentary. So you can see why I'm a little nervous about it now, because it's like that first time was very, very like raw and just like it just in my very first time. So now, like, I feel like it's still a little fresh for me. If I could be like, I still a little fresh. So. And when would it be out? This documentary sounds very, very interesting. And I really want to see this. And I've not heard of this type of thing before. So I don't have a date as of yet because I'm still kind of doing my interviews. But you will be the first person I, I send the cut to. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. That's really kind of you. And I look forward to upload, not uploading it, sorry, downloading it or, or, or however it may be sent and just watching it at home. Great. And you're based in London? Yes, I'm based in North London. Uh, like when I come to London, I'm going to hit you up so we can have some coffee or something. Oh, definitely. That would be great. I know some brilliant places around North London where we could grab a coffee. It'd be great. Exciting. Right. Thank you so much. You have a great day. The projects I'm working on need to be close to perfect. I love when Sonny said that because one of the ambitions I have next year is to only work with people that have that same mindset. I don't want to be in a situation where someone says, oh, well, it will be fine. Because most of the times when people go into projects with that type of attitude, it won't be fine. Black Klansman was a big part of her life. She worked on a project that sounded like it fueled her and set her on another level to do even more great stuff. And I really meant it when I said I look forward to seeing her latest documentary. Just think, let's go back and, and think about this. Sunny is a writer, actor, director, producer. She's a modern day creative for a digital era. We can all do more than one thing, but I'd love to know what your thing is so if you're listening to this podcast drop me an email and tell me what is the one thing that you do out of the other things that you do that make you happy some of us edit to make money but we don't really like editing some of us are colorists and we don't really like being colorists some of us are actors but we really want to become directors so I'm desperate to know what you want to do why you want to do it and how you're going to get there. I hope everybody's having a great time. And I'll speak to you all soon. Check out filmmakingconversations.com. I'm going to tell you this right now. There's a course, a free course for anyone who wants to produce an indie film. It's a free part course and it's well worth taking. And it's for free. And if you've got a few bucks to spare, check out the course on cinematography. All you need to know when it comes to lighting. For more information, again, check out filmmakingconversations.com or there are links you can look at in the show notes.